God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And what a difference a year makes, right? One year ago, probably, you know, January 20th, Biden took power. And what we see is a complete collapse of everything that he touched. On day one, he closed down the he closed down the uh, pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline. And that was bad enough. And we, we all predicted what was going to happen next. What was going to happen next is we were going to become energy dependent again. Being energy independent would help us right now. We're about to see $4 gas prices at the pump. The cost of a barrel of oil is over $100 for the... First time since 2014. And all would have to do, all we would have to do to improve that situation and the supply chain and everything else in between is to reverse that decision. That would be decision, the, the, the first thing you do. And we haven't done it. And here we are in this mess. It gave Putin all kinds of leverage. And the Putin leverage we gave him wasn't just with the oil. It was with everything that we did with Ukraine. We also gave him incentive. We gave him incentive in multiple ways. We gave him incentive in the way we behaved in Afghanistan. Our actions that we took the history of Joe Biden and the leverage over the Biden crime family, the extortion plots, and all that would come with the backroom deals that Lindsey Graham and John McCain and Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden enjoyed. All those personal profits and gains that they all did. 
And right under the nose of uh, Donald Trump and before, during the Obama regime. So, you know, we, we take a look back at that <clears throat> interaction with Poroshenko in 2016 during Trump's presidential elect. He was president elect during that transition. All those shady deals, all those shady deals with the prosecutor, Victor Shokin, all those shady deals with Burisma. You know, no wonder, and what are the odds? Excuse me. What are the odds? What are the odds of all of the children of all these leaders being in such a place that they are all hanging around Ukraine. There's a meme going around. It says, what are the odds of four people all having children working for Ukrainian gas companies? So you got John Kerry, Mitt Romney, Nancy Pelosi and her son, and Joe Biden and his son. You know, you got Christopher Hines, John Kerry's son-in-law. He married into wealth. You got Hunter Biden. You got Pelosi's son, who is doing a lot of business in oil in Ukraine. And then Mitt Romney not only had a, uh, a child child in in there, but he also had an advisor, Kofor Black, sitting on the board of Burisma. And it was his advisor for the 2008 election. Kofor Black was part of the CIA. Kofor Black was uh, part of some mercenary group. And Kofor Black was probably involved in financing the mercenaries that uh, started a civil war in Kiev in 2000. I think it was 14. Could have been earlier. So now they're talking about Plan B as if they never even had a plan A. This is disrupting economies all around the world. What's happening in Ukraine today? And frankly, I'm a little surprised that Putin would be as stupid as he is. <clears throat> this is a bold move. You know, I kind of knew that when he surrounded and he spent all that equity, that money, bring moving ships to the Baltic Sea and uh, and putting all those assets on the border of Ukraine in such a strategic way, we pretty much knew what he was up to. Wasn't it the last time the Olympics ended, the Winter Olympics in Sochi? The last time the Olympics ended in Sochi, what happened? Well, what happened was he took over Crimea under the nose of Barack Obama. And they try to say that Trump is in bed with Putin and Putin's going to eat Trump's lunch. Putin never ate Trump's lunch. Putin ate Biden's lunch. Everything they tell you, it's the exact opposite. And that's the sad truth. And we have a person, Kamala Harris, 
who can't speak in complete sentences, who's never been to Europe, now heading the, you know, she's the tip of the spear for our efforts there in Ukraine. She's the one on the ground, the boots on the ground, spiked heels on the ground. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd and ridiculous. America could do so much better. But the real question is, why is this happening? And we know that it's a distraction. We know that Biden is going to blame Putin for everything, just like they blame Russia for everything, right? They blamed Russia for losing the election. They blame Russia for everything. When those two spies got killed in the U- or, or poisoned in the UK, they blamed Russia, sanctioned Russia. The sanctions don't work. You know, they... Uh, Blocked the SWIFT network, which is one of the big banking networks for transferring money around the world. And they blocked that. And that's good, I guess, if you want to slow down the big Russian bear. But at some point, they've already figured out a way to, around this through cryptocurrency and other methods. <clears throat> Russia's not going to be stopped by sanctions at this point. We've been doing sanctions against Russia for so long, they've already worked their workaround for it. That's the problem with sanctions, is if you do them incorrectly, the only people that they hurt are the commerce and the business of the innocent bystanders. It hurts the middle class. You know, this war is crushing the middle class. COVID crushed the middle class. Climate change regulations crushed the middle class. The escalation of war in Syria and in Afghanistan and the refugee crisis that came after it crushes the middle class and it impacts voter, the the votes and the elections in helping the left rig the elections. That's the sad truth. Is these wars serve a purpose. Now, Putin looks at this and says, well, they're giving it to me. They're giving me the red carpet treatment. Why not take over land that I I think belongs to me anyway? I mean, Russia never really got over losing a bunch of those countries when the USSR broke up and became Russia and all these other countries became their own countries. And Putin never agreed with that. He never agreed with that transition. And so here we are. Putin wanted Crimea because of the access to the Black Sea, and he wanted the oil pipelines flowing into Europe, and he got that. Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, they run side by side, straight underneath the the uh, the waterways in that area, and they run straight into Germany. And Ukraine, off to the west, is separates Poland and Hungary, and separates uh, the Baltic states to a certain degree. But you got Belarus to the north who is a puppet nation of Russia. And will he go into Latvia and Lithuania? Will he do that? 
and take more. Maybe that'll be another chapter down the road. Russia will always be expanding its empire because that's what communist states, tyrannical governments, socialists do. And as he gains more leverage, Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, Europe is completely dependent on Russia. Russia is the gas pump for Europe. And that's exactly where they are. And they know they have the leverage. And when Biden shut down our energy independence, Putin knew that was the tip of the tip of the tip of the wink and a nod that he has carte blanche to do whatever he wants. What are we going to do? I mean, we get our oil from Russia and OPEC now. We're no longer energy independent. It's sad that this can all happen within one year. And in a couple of weeks, or within a week, we're going to have the State of the Union address, and you're going to see Putin front and center, a big, bad Russian bear. Putin's going to be the blame for everything, for the economic malaise, when we know that the economy and the inflation was caused by quantitative easing from the Federal Reserve. It was caused by so many other things. We're going to do a whole series on the gold standard coming up. On the Scott Adams Show, we're going to talk about what has happened since 1971. We're going to talk about it. And, you know, as much as I liked Nixon as a leader, uh, that was actually probably not such a smart decision to get off the gold standard. But just like the Patriot Act, and just like so many other things, it, it more than likely looked like a good idea at the time but then it became exploited. It became abused by the Federal Reserve. If everybody did their part, maybe it wouldn't have been a bad idea to have the dollar as the standard currency instead of gold. But because you had people like Jerome Powell or Ben Bernanke or Alan Greenspan and all these different people, players, liberals, that seemed to run the show at the Federal Reserve they manipulated it too much. They got their hands. They just couldn't stop picking at it. Sort of like if you have a sore and you keep scratching it and picking at it, it becomes a scar and it becomes worse than it ever would have been if you would have just left it alone. And since 1971, we've really suffered as a result of that, you know, stewarding, that lack of stewarding or the mismanagement of that departure from the gold standard to the dollar. And we're going to talk about that. But as it is right now, the world economy is collapsing. Inflation is at an all-time high everywhere. And it's because of the quantitative easing. It's because of the flow of cash, and it's because of the deficit spending. There's a piece over at uh, America Greatness that talks about that, just that. It, it talks about the inflation and deficit spending. That inflation is caused by deficit, deficit spending. And so we need to do a better job there. 
Actually, I think that article uh, is over at The Federalist, one of my favorite go-to publications, The Federalist. Um, Inflation and deficit spending. The real cause of inflation is insane deficit spending. Yeah. That was over at The Federalist, if you want to read it. Where that talks about... um, Watching the screen on a gas pump while filling your vehicle's tank is liable to induce a panic attack. Of course it is. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But right now, we should know that the price of oil is is over $100 a barrel. And that we're going to pay more than $4 at the pump. A 40-year high. So a little over a year ago, and in the years before the COVID-19 pandemic, most prices were relatively stable. But more recently, general price inflation is at a 40-year high. Inflation. This is something that's crippling our middle class right now. And this war doesn't help. And everything that doesn't help the middle class seems to be happening. That's the spotlight I think we need to shine on is this is by design. This was on purpose. This could have been avoided. A friend of mine asked me, because she had concerns of a friend that was going to be trapped with travel, uh, traveling uh, in various countries in the Middle East and in Spain and Europe, and asked me this question about what the likelihood of the war was. And I said, well, it's possible And at the time, I said it's somewhat unlikely, but I said there's a lot of reasons why it might happen, though, and it's it's all and it all can be avoided. That's why I played those Tulsi Gabbard audio clips earlier in the week because she was talking about the military-industrial complex and how they benefit, Um, and they talked about a lot of different things. But I think one of the things that you have to understand is that the Biden administration and uh, his crew keep hammering at the middle class. And if you just look at it and you crystallize what it is that's actually happening, it's, it's, a, it's a pay-to-play scheme. Biden has leverage over the West and their corruption in Ukraine. But see, Biden is, I mean, I'm sorry, Putin. Putin has leverage over the West and particularly in Ukraine. One of the problems for Putin right now is there, there's, a, there's many families, cousins, nephews, brothers, mothers that live in Ukraine to, and they're relatives of people that live in Russia. So it would really behoove it would actually be a, a real cardinal mistake for Putin to go ahead and send missiles indiscriminately into Ukraine and cause a lot of death and destruction over Ukraine because he would lose the support of his own people who right now there's a large population in Russia that sort of wants things back to the way they used to be when Russia was a superpower and nobody messed with Russia. Now Russia has an economy the size of, 
you know, New York State or something like that. I've, I've heard all kinds of different numbers. But it's not that great of an economy. And, you know, if they lost Moscow or if Moscow got bombed, I, I, I don't think there would be much left of of Russia, particularly if somebody decided, you know, to boycott Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 oil. It would collapse Russia in two seconds. And so it's kind of stupid for Putin to be playing this type of hardball, except for the fact that more than likely he has leverage over the West, particularly leverage over the Biden family, the Biden crime family. So Biden, you know, everything he has said up to this point has been a tacit approval or a tacit compliance. You know, and by tacit, I mean like a veiled uh, underlying message that says we we don't like what you're doing, but we can't stop it. And Putin hears that and says, we can't stop it, then I'll do it. And I'll do it strategically so I don't lose the support of my own people because I don't want to be killing my own people's families that are living in Ukraine. I just want Ukraine to be more like Belarus. Belarus being a puppet country. So what he wants to do is take over the government government of Ukraine and take ownership of their policies and politics and gain a lot more leverage and support and have Ukraine become a lot more of an ally than they ever were before to Russia. And that would achieve the goal of Russia feeling safer, having an ally like Belarus and now Ukraine and Crimea as their neighboring partners. It makes for the oil flow to go better. It makes for commerce to go better. It's going to help them financially. And it's going to give them leverage over NATO that was squandered by the corruption of people like Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, Amy Klobuchar, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden and his son Hunter, and John Kerry and his son Christopher Hines. And all of those people who were exploiting a very needy Ukraine. They were exploiting this needy Ukraine, this this beggar of a country. Please, sir, can I have some more? They would basically be on their knees trying to gain support and leverage from the West. And they bought their way in, one politician at a time. They bought their way in. They exploited one politician at a time. And they leaked out information that caused some problems. And where Obama only gave blankets and pillows and not the anti-tank javelin missiles, well, those were handled on, on the black market, making people like Lindsey Graham rich. John McCain rich. It's the only reason why I can explain why it is that John McCain, Amy Klobuchar, and Lindsey Graham were there on December 31st, 2016, on the New Year's Eve of 2017, during the transition of Donald Trump 
from president-elect to president. They were getting it under the wire. They were getting it during the Obama regime. They were getting that deal done because that deal, they didn't get their return on investment. The investment could have been made, from what I understand, from the guy who owns the Minnesota Twins, secured by his friend Amy Klobuchar, and mentored by the two stalwarts, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. And that deal was made, and that deal was done, and it was done during Trump's transition team. And every one of those people that I just mentioned could care less about our middle class and hated Donald Trump with a passion. And they all were in bed with Joe Biden. If you look back at history, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, best buddies with Joe Biden. They were all corrupt. And they have, you know, long history with Joe Biden. And I remember watching an audio video clip of Lindsey Graham talking about how great Joe Biden was. Salt of the earth, Joe Biden. One of the best men alive in Washington, Joe Biden. He said it with tears in his in his eyes. Nobody's better than Joe Biden. And uh, it's... It's sad because here we are. I'm going to see if I can get that clip, actually. And uh, let's see what happens. Let's see if I can get this real quick. Right here. I think I got it. Let's take a listen. You have to hear it to believe it, really. This is Lindsey Graham talking about Joe Biden. If you can't admire Joe Joe Biden as a... The bottom line is, if you can't admire Joe Biden as a person, then it's probably, you got a problem. <laughs> you need to do some self-evaluation. Because what's not to like? Here's what I can tell you. That life can change just like that. Don't take it for granted. Don't take relationships for granted. I called him after Bo died. And he basically said, well, Bo was my soul taught for a long time he came to my ceremony uh, and said some of the most incredibly heartfelt things that anybody could ever say to me and uh, he's the nicest person I think I've ever met in politics is that right? he is as good a man as God ever created and we don't agree on much but I think he's uh, been dealt a really gut blow I think he focuses on what he's got to do, not what he lost. Uh, his, his heart's been ripped out, but he's going to make sure that the other members of his family is well taken care of. And he started talking about his grandkids. More worried about them than anything. We just talked about the future. Yeah. He started talking about the future, the future of his family. That's it, folks. If you haven't heard that, that's a that's an eye-opener, isn't it? Uh, that is absolutely absurd, isn't it? That's Lindsey Graham talking about Joe Biden. And you could flip that coin and talk about how what Lindsey Graham thought about Donald Trump. And uh, it's pretty bad, right? Um... 
And let's see if we even have that one. Uh, we don't. Uh, that one I'm not going to bother with. But I, I got to tell you, I mean, when you listen to that and you, you realize what, the, what he's talking about, providing for his family, well, we know about Burisma now. We know about Hunter Biden and all the corruption. And the thing is, is that China's going to do the same thing. It was uh, Tennessee, uh, Mark Green, a Tennessee congressman, who basically said, said it's an M.O. You know, you go in and you infiltrate a country, you meddle in their politics, you start a rebellion, which escalates into a civil war. You create these divisions, and that's what's happening in the United States. That's what's happening with the truckers and in Canada. These civil wars are propping up everywhere. But in Taiwan, it's, it's, it's ready. It's ripe. It's like, a, it's like a kettle cooker that's about to burst. And China is going to be right there to pick up the pieces. These are slow evolving processes. But when you are able to corrupt the politicians and gain leverage over them and end their careers within a moment, then you got what you need. So you could do whatever you want and Joe Biden's going to shut his mouth like a good puppet and not do a doggone thing because he's he's got leverage over him. Putin has leverage over him. But these conflicts also serve another purpose. You say, even if I lose, I win. And that's where... Biden is right now. Biden says, even if I lose and even if Putin gets what he wants, that may not be great for America, but that's going to be good for me because at my State of the Union address, I could blame Putin for everything, inflation, everything. You know, Jen Psaki said it when she asked the question about inflation. And she was uh, answered to Peter Ducey. And it was a pretty... Sad commentary, really. So she's asking the question. She was asking the question about. Um, well, she was she was asking the, asked the question about inflation. She said, "Well, we're all going to have to sacrifice. We're all going to have to sacrifice," which is not the right answer. And right here, let's take a listen to this. Uh, commentary about Saki probed over if, uh, if sanctions with Russia will affect inflation. Let's you mean specifically Americans should expect higher gasoline prices? Yeah, energy prices, exactly. That's, that's what we want the American public to be aware is a possibility. Well, Jen Psaki has been probed by multiple reporters at her White House briefing on how these new sanctions will impact Americans. Joe Biden announced his government will impose sanctions on Russian banks, sovereign debt and elites following Russia's decision to invade Ukraine. The president warned these were just the first lot of sanctions he will impose should Russia continue to invade. But with Russia being a major exporter of crude oil and gas, it begs the question of whether the country will retaliate with the US by cutting off their oil and gas exports, putting serious pressure on households. The cost of fuel and electricity in American households is already at an eight-year high and has been a central issue in the last six months. Experts have warned that Americans could see the prices of gas hit $4 a gallon in the coming weeks or months if conflicts continue. 
And while Jen Psaki says the United States is leading the world in organising support for Ukraine, reporters today were making sure Americans knew what they were getting into. She said it was a possibility those prices could increase and that Americans should know that. The press secretary was probed again on what Americans can expect to happen next with sanctions. Can you tell Americans how much pain will they feel with this first tranche? Well, I think what we're looking at here, Kristen, is of course the impact on um, natural gas producers primarily is in Europe and we're working to help them too, but also on the oil markets. And obviously there are many additional steps that President Putin could take and what we're seeing is that he has every intention of taking. So I can't give you a projection of that. Some of it depends on what the actions are. Americans will feel the impact in the coming weeks of Again, it really depends on what the steps are. What what was announced today was significant sanctions on Russian elite and on financial institutions there. The people who will be largely impacted are in Russia on those. Try one more. Um, Swift, not in this initial rollout. In the initial, not in the initial tranche, but remains on the table. Will it be in the next rollout if there needs to be another rollout? I can't give you a prediction of that, but again, uh, we have a range of options that remain on the table. Um, significant. Uh, uh, that would have a significant and, and, uh, and devastating impact on the Russian economy. We've already seen in the Russian economy the impact on inflation there uh, and on the markets there. Of the- okay, so when she's talking about SWIFT, they're talking about this new banking network, and they already kicked that in. So since this, this was a February 23rd clip, uh, so in the last 24 hours, uh, SWIFT has already kicked in. So I guess since the since the bullets started flying in Ukraine, Swift kicked in. But mark mark what's happening here is this also helps the Green Party. They could easily reverse this these rising gas prices by changing their position on Keystone. But guess what? They're not going to do that because Casio Cortez and the whole cabal, the squad, would object to it. So politically, he's not doing what's right for the American people. To keep his alliance and his base together, he's selling out America. Think about it. That's absolutely insane, isn't it? And, and think about it also, that how much this helps the green, the green initiatives. This war is actually helping the green initiative. Why? How? Because if you have gas that's $4 a gallon, you're going to not be able to even afford. It's going to be forced upon you that you're going to have to go electric or you're going to have to get a, ride a bike or you're going to have to walk. There are people that live on the margins, folks. They can't afford $4 a gallon. Oh, my gosh. $80 for a 20-gallon tank? I, I don't even, you know, what, what is the size of a tank these days? But, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's too much money. You take a look at what's happening in California with their taxes. So it's a win for them because higher ticket item. If it's, if it's $4 a gallon... It's $80. Now you're paying taxes on 80. That's a bigger revenue uh, hit. For, that's a bigger revenue income for the state of California. They're going to win. They benefit. What is it? 
It's a redistribution of wealth. From who? From the middle class all the way up to Sacramento. That's California. And because the prices of gas are so high, the taxes that you pay are going to be higher. Just as if you were to buy a boat, you're going to pay higher taxes than if you buy a banana. But the middle class is getting crushed. Remember when we talked about the um, the hackers? And it was interesting how the hackers only hacked oil and beef. And let's see, Bill Gates has like what? A huge investment in synthetic meats, synthetic beef made by green, green stuff and, and from formaldehyde, poison. The same guy that benefited from vaccines benefits from the collapse of the beef and, and meat industry. Yes, I've gotten calls and I've gotten texts and I've gotten emails about uh, there is some inflationary tactics going on. There's some exploitation of these moments and that the beef industry might be jacking up prices for one reason or another. Maybe it's because they can't get their hands on uh, the right employees for one reason or another. And maybe uh, that's where they're calling on more people to come through the open border to do work that these college-educated kids don't want to do. And everybody and their brother now seems to have a college education. You know, gender studies, whatever it is, right? Not that that's ever going to be important or valuable or get you a job anywhere, but that silver spoon, that whatever dream you had about gender studies, I, I don't even know why you would ever apply for that. But it's not functional. It's not ready to make job. You know, you can't get a job from gender studies except to bloviate and talk about things that are obvious. That might sound a little foolish, but you know what? It just gets old, you know? I I see this crop of people, this young generation, that they're not handy. They couldn't fix a pipe, a plumbing. They couldn't do plumbing if their life depended on it. Welding it. There's a shortage on welding. There's a shortage in all these undesirable jobs that are manual labor. But somebody needs to do them. And it shouldn't be illegals. That's illegal. And it's hurting the middle class like there's no tomorrow. But the hackers hacked the beef industry. The hackers hacked the oil industry. And I almost think that the hackers are liberals, like Antifa, that actually were working on behalf of the liberal agenda, the climate initiative agenda. It's no longer about Greenpeace trying to stop a boat <clears throat> uh, from the whaling uh, whalers and the fishermen. It's no longer about a lot of these other types of protests. It's It's more about guerrilla tactics, pushing policies through uh, very covert operations. And it's pretty sad, but that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing this attack on oil with this war. We're seeing the import of refugees with the collapse of Afghanistan. We are seeing the same thing we saw with Syria. 
So these are unintended consequences? No, I'm thinking maybe they're intended consequences and that they seem to always be benefiting the globalists and not the middle class. And caller, you're on the air. This is John from uh, Chicagoland. Scott, good morning. Good morning. So you are uh, you're on fire here with some of your comments. Uh, yeah, I understand many of those Afghan translators who have been brought to Loudoun County, Virginia. And by the way, if anybody deserves it, I guess it's those people up there. But but apparently, many of those translators don't speak English. Uh, quote unquote translators. They're <laughs> all translators, but yes. The English-speaking skills of many of them are not very good. So there goes the translator explanation for why they're brought over here. You know, and on that note, Goldman Sachs just came out. I saw this morning, it was last night, uh, no, Goldman Sachs says the the uh, the uh, labor supply shortage in America is worse than it's been in years, setting the stage for another round, I suppose, of refugee flow or whatever it is, you know, justifying uh, bringing in more illegal aliens or even legal uh, immigrants to flood our welfare system and flood our streets and cities. It's the same routine over and over again. It's, it's Goldman Sachs, the Chamber of Commerce, it's the Democrats, all the people who have their beaks in the water, you know, as far as uh, what they want to get out of it. So I, I 100% agree with you on this. And, you know, you mentioned about young people. And I, I can't, I think it's been a skill that's been lost for many of us, understanding how to work with our hands. You know, when I was in school, we had shop in, in junior high, and then there was also, that was mandatory, and then there was obviously optional shop and mechanical, uh, like uh, mechanics, or I'll uh, say car mechanics, that sort of thing. Today, of course, many schools have dropped it because magically, apparently, we don't need these skills anymore. And so we don't. We can all just work with uh, pens and papers and become wordsmiths and type on a computer, and that's all we need to do. Everything will be done for us. It's, it's, un- it's truly unbelievable. I'll give you a story, Scott. A friend of mine's an engineer, and uh, he also er, uh, learned some welding schools and high- skills in high school. So he worked his way through Purdue in part with welding as he got his engineering degree. And even when he started working as an engineer, he did some extra work because he's working nine-to-five type job uh, as an engineer. But he, he did... Uh, welding work at night on the weekend to make extra money for his family because he had some young kids, just, you know, married, young kids, and uh, was able to get by in part on that. Of course, that helped him buy a house and whatnot. And, and that's the value of something like that. Not only can it be a full-time job, but it can be a part-time job. And it's really helpful to have those skills around the house. When, when, when something goes wrong, I mean, that's a, A, you need something done right away, usually. But B, you can save a lot of money because those guys are well-paid. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, that's why you see it. That's why you see a different uh, mentality about guns and defending your home in rural America. And that's why you see a lot more handy handymen, uh, you know, people that know how to do things with their hands in rural America, because you can't just call task rabbit and have someone come out to your house. That's absolutely right. Uh, that's absolutely right. And you, and you learn a lot when you go through these things. It's very practical. You can save thousands of dollars every few years on these kinds of services if you understand this. So, I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. But, you know, again, the perception is that somehow we'll so, just pay others to do it and we're wealthy enough to afford it. I, but the, it just, well, I, I so have a John, lot more what, to say about that. But that, that's, yeah. What's your take on... Uh, Vladimir Putin right now. 
you know, I'm, he's doing what he said he would do. And I tend to be with Putin because I, I think what he's doing is really, I don't think he's reconstructing the Soviet Union. I think what he's doing is reconstructing Russia to a certain point, meaning that that's really the core is Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn said the core of Russia is Russia, Belarus, Ukraine. He also threw in Kazakhstan. I, I would yeah. disagree on Kazakhstan, mostly because it's mostly Muslim. And I think that probably won't work that well with it. They get along well with it. But I, I yeah. think what he wants is the eastern strip of Ukraine. Yeah. Ukraine. I mean, western Ukraine was added, is mostly Polish. It was added after World War II by the Soviet Union. It, it, I'll just say, David Stockman had a great article on Friday about how Ukraine came to be. The Ukraine literally refers to the borderland. And if you take a look at it, so it was the borderlands of Russia. It was the borderlands. It's not, it's not, it wasn't really a country. That there was a core of Ukraine that's about a fifth, maybe a fourth of what it is now, that was there in 1654 when the Russian Empire took it. Well, actually, it actually voluntarily went there because they're trying to get away from Poland. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, so after that, all the pieces were added either by the Russian Empire or by the Soviet Union. So... I think what he's saying is, look, we want the part that's Russian-speaking back. I don't think he wants the whole country back. No, that's true. Um, I, I, that's a good point, and I actually agree 100% with you. I don't think I even made that clear um, in my talking about that subject. But, yeah, that's true. He just wants the Belarus, you know, like the Belarus type of Ukraine. He wants the Russian-speaking, Russian-friendly uh, part of Ukraine. He doesn't want the whole thing that's right well you know i'll be honest i am very patient with him in part because i see this guy as ideologically sympathetic to conservatives in that he's not buying into any of this multicultural stuff any of the lgbt you know craziness i mean we're not talking about yes you have a a right to be homosexual of course you have a right to be homosexual and not to be attacked i don't think anyone's debating that it's a question of the extremism in the LGBTQI plus, you know, XYZ community, whatever you want to call it. The extremism we've seen politically, he, re- he seems to reject all that nonsense and to be much more of a traditionalist and has re-embraced the Christian faith for whatever reason, either because of legitimate personal belief or because he believes it'll help to reinstill traditional virtues and family virtues, which will replenish their population and rebuild sense of uh, a sense of honor and, and decency and honesty right because a lot a lot of the virtues that religiousness brings with it it may be purely a political decision it may be a personal decision on his part but i see that he's made a, a conscious choice to pursue those ends and to reject multiculturalism to defend their own borders defend to think about yes, Russians the and... way the chinese think about chinese so i i'm sympathetic to him and what i'll be honest, okay now Obviously, no one's perfect. You can say, well, he was wrong in this regard or this regard. I don't know. But I do think that in the Ukraine situation, look, you know that Gorbachev was told by uh, Baker, Jim Baker and Bush One's administration, you know, the father, we will not move NATO one inch eastward. That's what reassured the Soviets then to allow the Soviet Union to break up. And as we've crept eastward, that's how they've gotten more and more nervous because they don't have those buffer states between right. them that's right. where there are no weapons. But it really was a straw that broke the camel's back. You know, Stephen Cohen, the former Princeton NYU professor, died about two years ago. He was brilliant on this and talked about this. He was more pro-Russian leading but honest about them. 
I think. And he said, you know, this is a red line. He's been talking about war with Russia since 2014 because of the whole situation with Ukraine. And not to, you know, filibuster here, but just to say this, when we took down Yanukovych, and that's, and we were intimately involved in that color revolution in Maidan Square. Remember Victoria Newland, that jackass, oh, yeah, was there yeah, handing Victoria. out cookies. And she did that on purpose to put a nose, a, a finger in their nose, or finger in their eye, to say, look, I'm right in your backyard, and I'm here handing out cookies like a French maid so that, you know, you are going to see that we are undermining you. That's and right. That was that, that. That's why they took Crimea because that was where their and by the way, military base was at. Victoria Newland was in on the Hillary hit job and working with Christopher Steele and a lot of that stuff. Uh, Toria Newland is real, a real corrupt politician. Well, I agree. Well, you've heard that phone call. Of, of her with uh, yes. another State Department employee. Oh, yeah, she'd be talking to this guy four days a week, and she's, like, planning out who the leader of Ukraine should be. Uh, I mean, this is a slap in the face to Ukrainians and to Russians, so that's yeah. why they took And they talk about democracy in Ukraine, yeah. Well, look. Well, we well, were that, rigging yeah. their elections <laughs> through through the help of Victoria Nuland. Well, yeah, and whatever you think about it, they're saying, look, this is our red line. Don't take him in NATO. Just stay out of Ukraine. Okay, if that's the price to pay, even if you feel that Ukraine should be a U.S. or that their democratic institutions are being suppressed, which I think is largely a fiction, but even if you believe that, and you say, we're going to make an accommodation and allow them to have that so we don't have a conflict with Russia, that's the smart thing to do. That's what Trump wanted to do. That's why Trump was so smart about this. He said, during the debate with Hillary, what did he say in one of the debates? He said, she accused him of wanting to get along with Russia. And he said, yeah, is, would that be so bad? Yeah, would that be bad? That. No, that wouldn't be bad. No, it wouldn't be bad. And that's why we don't go to war over Taiwan. And we won't go to war over Taiwan. Because they, they, they know that this is like China's little, you know, precious little uh, toy. Right? They want Taiwan. We're not going to go into war over Taiwan. We will over Japan. But they don't have the same, the same you know, the Chinese don't have the same feeling of, uh, of possession or the same sense of ownership of Japan that they do, or they may hate Japan and resent Japan because of Japan's success and prior domination of China, particularly in World War II, where they treated the Chinese miserably. But yeah. they don't feel they own it in the way they do Taiwan. And again, I'd rather live in Taiwan than China, but I understand why we might stay out of that one. And I think it's the same thing with, with Russia and Ukraine. And well, now, and this is close to, she mentioned, what's her name, talking about we need to make sacrifices. Why? Why am I? What do I got to wear a hair shirt around because they tell me to? It's nonsense. I mean, we're making sacrifices over something we don't. And why? Why, why is it? Why is it? Help me, help me understand why we closed the Keystone Pipeline again. Why? Environmental reasons, right? I mean, we're <laughs> burning the environment. I guess. That's yes. Yeah, so, so Warren Buffett's trains can actually drip drip oil all over the train tracks. I mean, it's, exactly. It's 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 the cleanest. And who said that? Who said that? Our energy, uh, the the uh, lady who was running up this energy energy secretary said something to the effect, uh, caught in another situation where she was talking about pipelines being the cleanest. Oh, it was during the um, it was during the hacking and the shutdown of of the uh, of the oil uh, 
I think it was Diplomat Oil or something like that, uh, along the eastern seaboard. And she said, basically, how are we going to get the oil from the Midwest to the East Coast? And she said, well, pipelines are the cleanest. And she said that. Right. So Of course you know. it is. Yeah, I mean, pipelines can leak too, but, you know, there are ways to fix pipelines, you know, with liners on the inside. You don't have to necessarily even dig it up right. and, and fix it. Yes, they can leak. But they're much more stable well, than big trains or trucks. Are ours any dirtier than Nord Stream Two, Nord Stream One that are now ramping up? You know, I mean, it's it's like well, you know, oh yeah, well yeah, it's a it's Tom Steyer. You know, had a competing oil pipeline interest. Do you recall that? Well, well you know, uh, I didn't know that Tom Steyer was in oil. That's a shock. Well, he was he's he, the guy I was talking about global warming, right? Yeah, well, he was the guy. He made his. He made his fortune off of fossil fuels in Australia, and then he had a he had an interest in a different type of pipeline, and it was a different route, and that's why he was basically financing oh. against Keystone Pipeline. I see. yeah, you talk by the way the one on the eastern seaboard was the Colonial Pipeline. That was the one. That, that was, was a Colonial, I right? I said diplomats. Colonial, yeah. And uh, and our energy well, I, secretary uh, said pipelines are the cleanest way to transport oil. Talking about already having seven percent officially, and really based on the pre nineteen eighty two inflation calculator, fifteen percent inflation. If you go to Shadow Stats, John yeah. Williams at that Shadow Stats, that's out of control. And to, to increase that further, it's basically a pay cut for all of us, and you really feel it. It's a big deal. I, yeah. I have to say one more thing. I, I saw that um, Canada we got ten, twenty took a break seconds from. Okay, well, I say Trudeau and company took a break from seizing truckers bank accounts and those of uh, contributors to their uh, GoFundMe accounts to uh, to uh, sanction Russia. And I you know, to think that little Muppet up there, Trudeau, is doing this and, and has the temerity to talk about someone else is really incredible. Yeah. I, I had to repeat that because I heard him called a Muppet the other day, yeah. and, and that is what he is. Well, you know, and for him to talk about Russian authoritarianism in the wake of the week he just had is, is absolutely absurd. But hey, uh, John, thanks for calling in today. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day. All right. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this Scott Adams show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org to support America First policies, to support what we're doing here. Every day we get this message out uh, for the truth. We talk about America first. We protect the middle class. We're doing a lot of great work over at magapack.org which is an extension of buglecall.org. Check them both out. Uh, be sure to use promo code REDSTATE to buy your coil mattress or your adjustable base bed uh, frame. Um, uh, there's a 70% discount on pillows right now. And there's a lot of great discounts there. Uh, and also check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.